Y'all, shaving sucks. I'm gonna be honest, that's why I have a beard, because I don't like shaving. It hurts, it can cause razor burn, I get little nicks on my neck and they bleed, and my wife is like, that's gross, and I'm like, you're right. And on top of that, it costs too much money. That's why there's Harry's for about half the price of the other big branded blades. Mm, Love that alliteration. They ship for free to your front door. Why pay $32 for an eight pack of blades? That's insane. For half the price, Harry's will get you a better shave that respects your skin, your face, your legs, and your wallet. The starter set is an amazing deal. It's $15, you get a razor, some moisturizing shaving cream, and three razor blades. Women, men, we all need razors that shave well and don't suck and don't cut our necks. Go to harrys.com now and harrys will give you that $5 off if you type in my coupon code WT with your first purchase. And you know what? Start shaving better today. You deserve it. Because I'm, I'm just proud of you. You're doing so well for yourself. Listening to the show, educating yourself, getting a nice shave. It's great. Like a lot of people at first, I didn't really know what Twitter was for. I created an account and thought, maybe I'll figure out what this is all about later. And at the time, the thing that was most important to me as a writer was this little music blog that I had on Tumblr. Um, I wasn't, it was just a hobby. I wasn't making any money from it, but it was fun. And some of my other music Tumblr friends were on Twitter as well. And so at first for me, Twitter became this place to just kind of talk with other people about the music we were listening to and what we liked and, and what we didn't like. And then one day I was listening to some random playlist I'd never listened to before, and I hear this song, and it's by Missy Misdemeanor Elliot, who I love, but I'm maybe not 100% familiar with her catalog. But this song comes on, it's got this great beat and this irresistible chorus, and the chorus is... Ooh, baby, baby, let me fix my weave. I don't know what you need when you go out to a club, but that's exactly what I need to hear in my life. Uh, and so I'm listening to the song. It's amazing. And as soon as it's done, I go on Twitter and I just type out a little message saying, how have I never before heard Let Me Fix My Weave by at Missy Elliott? And I tag her, you know, I tag her username. And I said it truly is an anthem for our generation. Then I get off Twitter, I go on with my life, I forget all about it. Well, then two hours later, my phone lights up and I get possibly the greatest push notification of all time. And it says, Missy Elliott faved your tweet. So there are a lot of ways I could describe Twitter, but at the end of the day, it is the best way that I have of getting a message to missing misdemeanor Elliot. And that alone, I feel like justifies its existence as a, a company and a thing in the world. You got her freak on. <laughs> oh, we got it all the way on. Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from The Verge. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and this is our first episode being recorded from the great land of Austin, Texas, and also San Francisco, California, and also New York City, New York. We are just all over the place. Uh, If you haven't listened to What's Tech before, it's a show about the name, uh, What's Tech. When everything feels like technology, we're just kind of here to explain it. Today, I have uh, a friend, a guest, 
Casey Newton, the Silicon Valley editor for TheVerge.com, to tell me about Twitter, a thing that I have very, very strong mixed feelings about. And maybe we'll get to that later on in the episode. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Casey. It is my pleasure. And let's just start things off as we always do with the top-level question. In this case, what is Twitter? So Twitter is a way to broadcast messages to the entire world 140 characters at a time. Uh, You can send those messages uh, with an app on your phone or on the website, and about 300 million people use it every month and send around 500 million tweets every day. And a tweet, of course, is the name of a message that you send on Twitter. Uh, And because the vast majority of all tweets are public, Twitter has become one of the best ways to understand what's going on in the world at any given time. Now, I... I have two origin stories on Twitter, so I want you to humor me with these because I feel like I've signed on or signed up twice. The first time, uh, I was a student at NYU, and I signed up to a, a a text message service called Twitter, where I could group text. Essentially, I I didn't quite understand it, and that was in two thousand seven. And then a year later, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but the the reason to be on Twitter in 2008 was Mad Men fan fiction. There were a group of people who were playing the roles of all the characters, and I, I signed on to follow those characters. Wow. Uh, yeah, but that was like closer to the Twitter that I know of today, where you could see it on a browser. What was that first thing I signed up for? Was that the same thing? Yeah, so the original version of Twitter was SMS-based, and it was cooked up as a kind of weekend project at a company called Odeo. Uh, Odeo had been started by a guy named Ev Williams, who had previously built Blogger and sold it to Google. Um, And his next company, Odeo, was a bet that podcasts were about to become a major new media format, uh, which was a great bet. Unfortunately, he made it in uh, 2005, which was about nine years before the idea came true. Um, And and the main idea of Odeo was that it was software for organizing your podcasts, and then Apple introduced that feature in iTunes, and Odeo was basically dead overnight. So they have this problem, which is that they've raised all this money, they have all these employees, and their product is dead. And so one day, they're sitting around trying to figure out how to save the company. And Jack Dorsey, who is an employee at the company, has this idea around SMS. What if you could build a service that let you send short updates to your friends' phones? Like, hey, I'm at the club listening to Missy Misdemeanor Elliot, or wow, brunch at Olive Garden is amazing. And they rigged it up. And uh, on March 21st, 2006, Jack Dorsey sends the first tweet, and it's a text message. Um, and it just says, quote, just setting up my Twitter. And all of Jack's friends on the service would then get an SMS message on their phone saying, hey, Jack set up his Twitter. And from there, they were sort of <laughs> off to the races. That's a better first post than the YouTube first post, which is like an elephant dick joke. <laughs> so I, I think I, I'm pretty impressed that they managed to keep themselves together for at least one first post. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. Am am I wrong to think there was, like, drama around the creation of Twitter and ownership, especially in those early days? 
Well, the biggest drama was around a guy named Noah Glass, who was Ev Williams' co-founder at Odeo. Um, Glass did several things for the project that would eventually become Twitter, uh, but the most important of those was that he gave it its name. He was running his finger down a dictionary, just sort of like looking through every word and came across Twitter and sort of liked the way that it implied like kind of inconsequential birds chirping. And so uh, Noah Glass came up with the name. But, you know, as is often the case in these things, uh, eventually all the founders stopped getting along. Um, Each one of them kind of brought something different to the project, but it just seems like they were fated to not be together forever. And Noah was the one who got bounced first over what basically seemed like garden variety personality conflicts. Um, But then he was written out of the Twitter story um, until a book about Twitter's origins came out in 2011 and sort of revealed the first kind of few things that he had done for them. Um, But there was a lot of drama that came after um, because at one point, Jack Dorsey was CEO of the company and then he was out and then Ev Williams was CEO of the company and it just sort of shuffled. They shuffled through a lot of founders as CEOs before finally letting a guy named Dick Costolo, who had been brought in as a chief operating officer, um, they let Dick be the CEO and he is still the CEO today. Now, how how did the company grow so quickly? Because it just, I mean, I guess 2006 to 2015, that's that's a good amount of time. But it feels like growth has been kind of staggering for it, or at least when it was going, its, I guess, at its greatest pace. Right. So how did Twitter grow so quickly? Uh, in three words, South by Southwest. So it's 2007. Uh, the iPhone has just come out, and you have all these early adopters gathering in Texas to talk about software and social networks. And so it's the perfect testing ground for something like Twitter. And so sure enough, over the course of the festival, Twitter becomes the place that people are looking to first to see what all the cool kids are doing. So it's like, hey, we're getting tacos or hey, we're at this bar. And so it gave Twitter this sense of clubbiness that it kind of never had before. So during that festival in 2007, Twitter went from seeing about 20,000 tweets a day to 60,000 tweets a day. And when all those people got home from Austin, they took it back with them to their communities. And so it kind of spread virally from there. So I I don't use twitter.com which seems like a problem for a business. I use Tweetbot. Mm-hmm. Or before I used that I used like Hootsuite or other third-party versions of Twitter. How how is that not a problem for a company if if the main thing that they've created is not the place I go to? This is a personal fascination for me because it used to be that anyone could develop a Twitter client um, and uh, those developers could display tweets any way they wanted to. And those developers actually invented features before Twitter in a lot of cases. Um, Twitter has always been a kind of conversation between the owners of the company and the members of the community. So things like hashtags or retweets, which is when you kind of amplify uh, somebody else's tweet on your own account. These are things that the community came up with, and it was third-party developers that would put those features into their apps before Twitter got around to it. So that's probably why you and why definitely I continue to use those apps today, because often they do things uh, in a slightly more progressive fashion than Twitter does. 
Um, but as these clients got bigger, Twitter got more and more concerned. There was one in particular called TweetDeck, which was a kind of professional-grade Twitter client. And there were rumors that, that TweetDeck was going to start trying to make money off of those users before Twitter was thinking about how it was going to make money itself. So Twitter decided to get out in front of that by buying TweetDeck. It also bought the top um, iOS app for Twitter, which was called Tweety, and made it uh, turn Tweety into its own kind of iOS client. And then it released this statement called the Rules of the Road, which divided all of the different possible uses of Twitter up uh, into four quadrants. So if you were a developer, you had to decide where you were going to kind of play in this new sandbox that that Twitter had created. And the rules of the road basically said, stop making Twitter clients. Like, let us make the main Twitter experience. And if you want to do anything else with our tweets, um, it has to fit in one of these four kind of narrow zones. So the only third-party apps for Twitter that have hung around have basically been the ones that existed before the rules of the road were declared. And that includes TweetBot, which is my own preferred uh, app for checking out Twitter. Uh, But there's always sort of a sense that Twitter could kill apps like these anytime it wants to. Um, Apps like TweetBot rely on an API that Twitter updates kind of very slowly. So it's now a situation where not every feature in Twitter's main apps is available for those third-party clients. Um, and so it's, it's heading towards some sort of confrontation and it will probably be messy, but, um, they've sort of been very slowly bleeding the life uh, out of those clients over the past three years or so. An API, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a great way to explain it for people who might not be familiar with that term. Sure. So an API stands for Application Programming Interface, and it's just basically software that lets two apps talk to each other and exchange information. So if you make uh, something, a client like TweetBot that wants to display tweets, you need uh, an API, which is basically just sort of a key that opens up Twitter and lets you display their tweets. Okay. I, I want to get, get serious. I want to talk about serious. money. I want to get mm-hmm. business. <laughs> so I went to Wikipedia. <laughs> this, is, this is some journalism right here. <laughs> and I, I hit Command F, and I wrote the words profitable and profit. And let me tell you, it did not come up. On a, on a very long Wikipedia page. So th- therefore, mm. there must be some logic here. Is Twitter profitable and or good at business? Chris, this is Silicon Valley, okay? You can take your talk of <laughs> profits right back to New York City, okay? That's not what we're about here. We're trying to change the world, in case you hadn't heard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, tw- you know, Twitter is pretty good at making money off the users that it has. It shows them advertisements inside the stream. Um, so advertisers essentially buy what are called promoted tweets. And those make a fair bit of money. But because Twitter has been growing relatively slowly, um, they haven't been able to attract as much advertising support as they hoped. So they have a plan to be profitable. Um, they have said, I think, that they will be profitable toward the end of this year, but it has not happened yet. Mm. So it seems like a lot of people are making money off this. And, and we already talked about like third-party developers, but one of the, the stranger things to me is the rise of the Twitter celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the biggest example is probably the book deal, book deal that, that, mm-hmm. that comes from just existing on Twitter. Uh, maybe the finest example would be someone becoming a television writer off of that. But can you kind of explain 
for people what a, a Twitter celebrity is? Because it's a real oddity. Yeah, I mean, I think there are, a, there are a couple of different examples. Like, some of the Twitter celebrities were just people who came to the platform early and then got put on what Twitter called its suggested user list, so that when you signed up for Twitter, it would say, follow Anil Dash, and you didn't know who Anil Dash was, but Twitter was recommending him, so you followed him. And he's like a sort of... um a well-known and well-liked blogger, basically, from, like, kind of the, you know, early part of the last decade kind of got started. Um, but now he has, I don't know, like, half a million followers on Twitter or something. And he's, like, a great example of a Twitter celebrity. He is somebody who has a huge following there because he was early to the platform and Twitter kind of gave him a nod. Um but there are other kinds of celebrities, too. You know, and you mentioned comedy writers. Um, Twitter has been a great boon to comedians because 140 characters, which is the limit of a message you can send on Twitter, is perfect for a joke. It's perfect for a one-liner. And so comedians would just get competitive on Twitter trying to come up with the best jokes. And then as those comedians started to retweet each other and follow each other, you had people getting very famous and becoming uh, hired on TV shows to write for them. Uh, There's a guy named Rob Delaney who built a following of over a million people uh, basically just by saying really funny and often gross and inappropriate things on Twitter. Um, he wound up getting a book deal out of it. Um, he now does, you know, pro comedy writing. And it's all because he was really, really good at Twitter. So, you know, as on YouTube, that kind of thing doesn't happen a ton uh, that much anymore. But it's definitely something that has been part of the the platform from the beginning. And it's sort of the promise of the platform if you know, you're a creative type and you want to get some sort of work out to the maximum uh, number of people that you can. We talked about the laughs. Now let's talk about the drama because uh, you might, I think you know this about me, but Twitter uh, ruined my life, (laughs) at least for a couple months. Um, It was just the most horrid uh, piece of software that I've ever had influencing me directly and that it became a vessel for thousands of people to send and spam me with uh, harassment. Uh, and and I've had it by no means as worse as as plenty of other people, but to the point where I had to like delete it off of everything and like come up with uh, kind of nuclear solutions for uh, blocking as many people as possible just to make the software usable again. And at that time, I mean, I remember on Christmas Eve having to report someone to Twitter because they were pretending to be me and harassing other people as if they were me. And Twitter not being able to get around to that for weeks. Or or other times where uh, I would report someone and Twitter would be like, hey, this person explained how they would maybe kill me. And Twitter would be like, eh, that doesn't really seem like harassment to us. Uh, but I've heard, I've heard that they're getting more involved in uh, proactive and preventing harassment. Is that true? Yeah, so there's been a lot of harassment on Twitter over the years. They've been really slow to address it. And that that slowness to address these really huge problems led publications like ours at The Verge and many others to write about this problem until finally people at the company became convinced it was one of the things that was slowing Twitter's growth down because it just sort of had a reputation that was unfriendly, particularly to women. So after lots of pressure, Twitter has finally begun to take it more seriously. 
They've now made it easier to report harassment. Uh, recently, for the first time, they've begun to let third parties report harassment. So if you see somebody else being harassed on Twitter, you can report it. Um, if you are a user whose account has been verified, uh, which covers kind of a lot of the celebrities and high-profile people who who might receive some of that harassment, um, Twitter has... Uh, created a kind of algorithmic way to clean up their mentions so they might not see obvious curse words or insults in there. Um, But these are just kind of the first few steps. I still see people on Twitter, you know, complaining a lot that they're being harassed, that Twitter is too slow to act. Um, And so I just think it's something that, you know, sites like ours will continue to monitor and report on. Um, But, you know, from my own talks with people at the company, uh, they give every impression that it's a problem that they're trying to fix. So I get why people need Twitter uh, as a tool uh, during certain parts of their lives or, or as a, specifically as a political tool or an organizational tool. And I get why someone in the media would use it because it's a promotional device too uh, in some respect. And it's a way to directly engage with an audience. And for journalists, it's a way to find sources. What I'm not always as sure about is why someone who works a more traditional uh, desk job uses Twitter. And, and uh, what, what do you think that reason is? So for me, Twitter is the first and usually the best answer to the question, what is going on? Like, the trouble is usually figuring out which people you need to follow to answer that question to your satisfaction. But once you pick out the right people to follow... When you're standing in line at Starbucks or you're at the airport or you just kind of want to take a break at work, like Twitter is the place that will tell you what people are laughing about, what they're angry about, what they're surprised about. It's all happening on Twitter 24 hours a day. And, you know, if you're a news junkie, it's probably something that you'd really enjoy. But even if you're just somebody who kind of wants to check in on the world once every couple of days. Twitter offers a pretty unparalleled uh, collection of um, tweets. It definitely has an unparalleled collection of tweets because it's <laughs> nothing like really it. Allows them. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. There's there's great stuff on there. Twitter doesn't do a great job of surfacing it to the average person. But again, if you want to know what's going on, like that's that's what Twitter is for. Okay, this is the forward-looking question to end, end all of this. Mm-hmm. It's 15 years from now. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, oh, my gosh. You won't believe it. It is so hot outside. There is no ozone. <laughs> Our skin <laughs> is melting. <laughs> um, but we're documenting this process of emulation. Mm-hmm. Is it just automatically journaled for us by some other company by then? Or is Twitter a thing? And if so, what is it? So, you know, Twitter isn't just what is happening, but it's how people feel about it. Um, It's commentary. It's comedy. And so I think as long as we're still being pundits and as long as we're still cracking jokes, there will be a place for a platform like Twitter. You know, maybe it won't always be the number one way that somebody like me gets his news, but... I do think that this idea of a kind of open town square where anybody can shout what they have to say and, you know, if they're smart, can get the attention of a large number of people. I think that's a powerful idea and I don't see it going away. I do expect it will evolve a lot. We've already seen Twitter's product 
change a lot this year. But that core idea of kind of helping people to understand not just what's going on, but how the rest of the world feels about it, I, I think that's here to stay. Well, there we go. It'll become a sentient being and rule all of the melted folks <laughs> crawl across the degraded wasteland. Um, right. Thank you for joining me today. It's always nice talking to you. We should have it's, you on more often. I should. I want to come to Austin, uh, Texas, to uh, you know, for a housewarming party uh, with tacos. If that's what that possible. sounds great. We're gonna find a way to make that happen, and we'll invite yes, all of the listeners, all twelve of them. <laughs> They're wonderful. I love each of them individually. <laughs> Um, thank you, one of 12 listeners. <laughs> I'm sure there are more, right? Uh, thanks for listening. This has been What's Tech. Uh, thank you, Casey, for joining me. Um, My pleasure. If y'all want to get more people like you listening to the show, why not go to iTunes and leave a review? It goes a long way to uh, spread the message. Or just share the show on Twitter. We are at What's Tech. And if you want something a little different, but on theme, go to thebridge.com. It's a website. Casey and I write there. It has lots of cool stuff. I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, And that's it. Except it's not, because I want to thank one more person. John Lagomarsino, our producer, who somehow got everything to work flawlessly in in so many different cities at once. Uh, That's our show. Until next time, I'll see you later. Bye.